0: Hello, everyone. This is Sherry Rice. Welcome to Access to Healthcare's weekly podcast, where we bring you local guests on topics of interest to you and your family. Today, we are discussing another really important aspect of the COVID 19 pandemic the opening of our schools. And today, we are focusing on the opening of the University of Nevada, Reno. My guest today is Jill S. Heaton, Vice Provost, Faculty Affairs, University of Nevada, Reno. Welcome Jill.
1: Hi, thank you very much. It's a, a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, I appreciate you coming on. Um, as you know, the topics of opening our schools, whether it's K through twelve or higher education, is a huge topic both locally and on the national scene. And so it seemed really important that we have a podcast on this to get out the correct information, I think. Uh versus people's assumptions, if that makes sense, Jill, that we really, we really get the facts on what's happening at the University of Nevada, Reno. Does that make right. sense? Right. It absolutely makes sense. And, um, you know, as, as you
1: have indicated, um, you know, we have somewhat of, of a moving target, but uh, as we get closer and closer to the opening of the fall semester, we have a, a lot more details and a, and a lot more facts that we can share with our local community.
0: That's fabulous. Can I take us back just a little bit? Because we know that for a lot of people, the pandemic started in our community in mid-March. Now, I know it really started earlier in that, and people were thinking about it and talking about it. But mid-March seems like for a lot of people is when we started putting some things in place. Back in mid-March, uh, what were the first steps, the first process that the university took when they realized the pandemic could hit our community at a time when you had students in school? Right, right. Well, I'll, I'll actually have to say that we started
1: prior to, to mid-March. Uh, the first communication to our, our university community was at the end of, of January, and then the the by the end of February, the university's issue issues management team, which includes the president, um, executive vice president, provost, other vice presidents, and vice provosts like myself, police services, medical experts we uh, were meeting on a on a regular basis
0: mm-hmm. and
1: um we actually started at the end of February also to begin to pull back on travel, specifically international travel and uh, at that time, we also uh, got and stayed and have stayed in regular communication with the Washoe county health district so um you know that that that's pre middle of March, right? And, right. But 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 March, as you've said, is really when, not just us as a local community, but our our nation began to uh, have to to deal with this. It, it was no longer at our front door. It was it was in our in our house, and uh, March was a a, a hectic month uh, for the university. It, it seems like yesterday and it seems like a lifetime ago all at the at the it same does, time doesn't it yeah. yeah um you know in march we we had to do something that was was uh, extremely difficult and um uh, ex- extremely time consuming which was figure out how to how to shut down our institution but still deliver still deliver on our educational mission uh, our research mission and our our community engagement uh, mission and so um you know, we had 24 campus emails that went out in a matter of about 20 days, wow. right? And hundreds of, of, you know, I would receive hundreds of emails in a in a single day. But um, you know, we, we pulled our all of our instructional and our business operations basically down to to nothing ex- except for essential functions. And I mean, we're talking 20,000 students, I
0: know, uh,
1: 8,000 employees. Um, and, and we are not just a local economic driver, but state, national, and even global. Um, in 2019, just as an example, um, we brought in or had in-house 250 million dollars in research grants. Wow! And and we spend those research dollars, and we spent about 200 million in those research dollars in uh, in 2019. And so all of that. We had to, to stop, right, you know, yeah. and, and, and slow yeah. down. And so, um, you know, March, if March was the, the shutdown, you know, month, um, April was the, you know, what operations must we continue or do we have to maintain? We started wrestling with budget reductions, uh, how to, to maintain our research programs, the critical aspects of our research programs. Uh, what are we going to do about summer? That Mm -hmm. was the focus in in April. Um, May, we spent a lot of time planning for the future. June, we're reopening. and July, we're trying to figure out our our, our, our new modus
0: operandi. Yeah, no kidding. The new normal. Let me me go back a little bit again to Mm -hmm. mid and end of March. Did you Mm -hmm. uh, send all the students home? Did you send them home from the dorms? Did you do distance learning at that time?
1: Yeah, so um, basically we... If you call it luck, I don't know if it's luck, but we had spring break. Uh, oh, yeah. And so right before spring break, uh, we announced that the um, all in- instruction would all convert to online at the beginning of spring break. And so that started on the 23rd of, of March. We came back from spring break and all of our classes were being delivered online at that, at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a lot of conversations in, in the middle of March around housing and dining. Um, We did instruct students not to return to campus. However, and I I think this is critically important that this this message uh, go out, Uh, our students that were in need, uh, that had no place to go to, Mm -hmm. we kept them here on campus. We kept them housed and we we kept them uh, fed. And uh, that was critically important to us. But those students that didn't need to come back, um, we directed them to uh, stay home
0: yeah so the the students that didn't have anywhere to go you found some place for them well, we kept them in the dorms uh we uh-huh.
1: consolidated you know we we have been uh using um uh the facility downtown a um uh casino that was converted oh, yeah, to a dormitory. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah but we we moved them all to on campus proper mm-hmm. and and housed them in a in a single dorm uh where we could maintain. Uh, social distancing and um, and they could uh, um, occupy a space by themselves
0: uh, so in the matter of just a couple of weeks, uh, you know you all did all of this, and the faculty then went home and mm-hmm. to do their distance learning with the students um, that were at home doing the distance learning how did, How did that work
1: out so you know the 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 biggest challenge that I think everybody faced, from both from the faculty standpoint and the student standpoint, was, was learning how to navigate the technology, right? How to yeah. deliver a class online um, and how to receive a class online. And so we had uh, approximately 300 loaner laptops that we distributed to students who didn't have uh, the computer technology at home. We worked with local internet providers to uh, provide access to free Internet uh, for students, at least that were here in our local and state community, if they had difficulty accessing the Internet to participate in their online classes. And um, so the, the technology, uh, overcoming the technology was was not insignificant.
0: Um,
1: since then, we have implemented uh, a number of uh, training and learning modules, both for faculty and students, to help assist them in navigating uh, online education. Uh, not just the technology, but, you know, assignments have to be modified. Exams yeah. have to be modified. All of those things have to be, have to be changed.
0: So. Yeah. Now, how did that – how was that for the faculty, Joe? Because um, it just seems like that would have been such a big change – and such, um, you know, a huge uh, change in their daily routine, along with the fact that they also had their families they had to be concerned about.
1: Right, right, absolutely. So um, there's no doubt about that it was a huge and, and heavy lift to uh, to ask faculty to, to do this. So a, a couple of things. Um, faculty were obviously extremely concerned about, how they would be evaluated by their students
0: oh, right uh-huh. at the
1: end of the semester. Yeah. So uh, we basically indicated that although student evaluations would continue, they would play no role whatsoever, and uh, at least in the spring semester, in uh, a faculty member's uh, evaluate, annual evaluations or, or promotion and tenure. Uh, and so that relieved a lot of stress, I think, for, yeah. for faculty. Yeah. Uh, we very quickly began putting up resources to try to assist them, for example, to develop asynchronous uh, learning materials uh, so that, uh, again, when, when we all went home, everybody went home, right? And you're navigating right. children and spouses and, and you know, internet yeah. and all of that stuff so they could deliver a class. It didn't have to be right at 10 o'clock, right? So we relaxed kind of that, that time constraint of, yeah. of delivery. Um, and, we um, increased our licensing capacity to Zoom so that um, because there was a time limit that would have restricted the amount of time an instructor could have delivered a class. Um, we increased our capacity with Proctorio and other um, online uh, remote testing um, software programs so that exams didn't have to necessarily be proctored by the instructor on Zoom right, watching the students on Zoom from from the other side. So, um, and at the same time, just, I mean, empathy, right? Uh, yeah. Grace. Yeah. um Compassion. Yeah. That, you know, you don't, none of us have to pretend that the semester is the same as it was when it started. Right.
0: right.
1: <laughs> so, um,
0: yeah. Not much is the same, is it? It's. No. I think... Uh, um, not, not, not at all. Yeah, we're all reeling from... Um, well, and the new normal keeps changing. <laughs> we adjust to it, and then there's another change. Um, and I don't think that we can emphasize enough. It's, it's similar, it seems to me, Jill, with when I interview, um, say, the chief nursing officer at one of the hospitals, and mm-hmm. they uh, let me know the impact this has been on their uh, essential workers and staff and it would be the same for your faculty they're essential workers yeah well
1: uh yes yet yes and no uh, essential absolutely essential although um where we can continue to inf- uh perform our essential functions remotely right we are we're doing that as as much as possible but you're right i mean if an educator is not an essential need for our society today i i don't know what is
0: right <laughs> It's true, um, and I think that's why everyone's grappling so much with um, should they send their child back to school, shouldn't they send their child back to school, uh, right, right. because it is an essential part of that child's life. So we, right. we went into phase two. Um, mm-hmm. Now we're in phase two, master mandatory, um, and we're looking at reopening the university. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit. When, okay. when do classes start? I, is that August 24th? So the fall semester starts August the
1: 24th, but I will tell you that we delivered our second summer session, which started July 10, mm. in uh, in in hybrid uh, fashion. So some classes were online, some classes were in person, although there were very very few of those. The majority of the classes had some sort of mixed modality, where students could participate in person or students could participate remotely. Uh, Of course, if they're in person, we had sanitizing uh, materials, uh, hand sanitizer. We had sanitizing wipes for them to disinfect their learning space. We had paw prints placed on uh, in the seats in all of the classrooms on campus so that they would know where to sit so they could observe six-foot social distancing at a minimum. and, and students, or I'm sorry, faculty, were able to uh, teach from the classroom as opposed to teaching from home in a chair with a laptop. Mm-hmm. Um, we installed in all of our um, centrally scheduled classrooms on campus technology that uh, was not present in the spring that allows uh, faculty to teach from a classroom, a camera and a microphone. Uh, for example, so that they could share those uh, the screen and um, teach the students who were online at the same time that they're teaching to students um, in person. So
0: you've you you tested this hybrid model this summer. What were yeah. what were some of the successes and what were the things that you learned from it that you would do different this fall?
1: So I think the the successes were the flexibility. For, for everybody, for the students and the flexibility for, for the faculty members. And so uh, students, uh, in, in some classes, the majority of the students um, participated all in person. And in some classes, the majority of the students participated or all of the students chose to participate online. And, and when I say that flexibility, because I think the different disciplines and the different subject matters of a classroom lend themselves differently, right? To, right, to easier to deliver online or harder to deliver online. And so that, that flexibility, uh, we came to really appreciate that flexibility after the second summer session. And so the measures that we've instituted for the fall allow that flexibility to continue. Uh, first off, uh, all faculty, staff, employees, um, instructors on campus have access to uh, alternative work arrangements through the Family First Corona Recovery Act, FFCRA. Yes. And so if they have a personal reason, a health reason, a child care, an individual care reason, they can and they had, uh, were able to make the request uh, m- a month and a half ago to teach online in mm-hmm. the fall if they need to.
0: Mm-hmm. Students
1: can request... For whatever reason—financial reason, health reason—to um, have all online um, instruction in the fall, or conversely, all in-person instruction in the fall. Now, um, not all classes are online, and not all classes are in-person, and so they'll have to work with an advisor to find a schedule that fits their their need. And so the the, the key thing out of that was was the flexibility. I think.
0: Yeah. Um, so how do, how Jill do, uh, do you decide which classes can adapt themselves to online and which classes need to be in person? Who makes that decision? The the uh, faculty.
1: So we have a. a I, I'm also a geographer, so I think of things in in terms of of scale. Uh, at the highest level the institution has a number of goals. We want to, to maximize in-person and residential experience for our students, but we want to do it safely. So we had some, some fairly broad parameters. So for example, classes that are 35 persons are over in this, in this phase, and this will be the phase that we stay in through the entire fall semester. Those classes are online. Mm-hmm. Uh, classes that are 35 or 34 or less Mm -hmm. um, the decision on the modality of that class takes into account the individual faculty member teaching it and their own personal uh, or health needs Mm -hmm. um, the type of class and the appropriate pedagogical way to deliver it right and so um, there's the individual faculty choice and then there's the um, the faculty, the department, and the college, right, in terms of, okay, these suite of courses, we don't know any other way to teach these except online. So let's figure out how we – I mean, I'm sorry, in person. In person. So let's figure out how we can do these in, in person. These courses can be completely delivered online. Let's put them online, and here are these in, in the middle that need some sort of combination of in-person and online. And, um, uh, remote uh, learning, and so um, from the university's goals down to the individual faculty, and and as I said before, the students, right? Um, so it it allows for 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 all of those, and it, it's a mix. We have about 50% of our uh, courses are going to be delivered um, all in all online, and about 50% of our courses. Are going to be somewhere between in person or a mixed modality, where some in person participation
0: and is Jill, required. Would you know off the top of your head how many courses you have each semester? Uh,
1: yeah, we have about four thousand uh, um, sections,
0: right? Yeah, yeah a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, I mean, it's it, you know what I love about this is that we give people a picture that they don't get from reading a news article. They don't get from anything else than somebody who's living it every day telling us I mean you have four thousand that you need to figure out the modality for those courses that's absolutely amazing. Let's talk yeah. about the one in uh one's in person a little bit mm-hmm. uh, of course, I know without even asking that you're very uh concerned or or very much um adapting to the p p e equipment they so everyone needs to wear masks in class. There's hand sanitizer. Are temperatures being taken?
1: Uh, we're not taking temperatures as a matter of course
0: for entry
1: into the classroom. We have a um, a daily or it, it's a it's a re-entry certification form where we ask our employees and uh, our students to self-monitor themselves and and to do that. Uh, so that's for signs. Any signs of of COVID-like symptoms. Um, not feeling well daily temperature checks uh so we're asking individuals to to do that themselves
0: and have you has the university looked at improved um, air filtration i know we have here at access to healthcare absolutely
1: so uh we have uh replaced or are still in the process of replacing uh because we we phased it we prioritized it right the the buildings that were opening up faster than others so Our standard filter for our HVAC system is a MERV 8, and we've moved all those to MERV 11. Uh Uh, That basically filters out much uh, smaller particles. We're also increasing the amount of external air exchange that is occurring within our buildings, and our HVAC system is running 24-7 now also. Again, to have as rapid an amount of air exchange as possible with the greatest amount of filtration possible of that but, air.
0: And, and we um, have uh, really a decent number of students that come to the university from out of state and even out of the country. Will the dorms be open and they will be living in the dorms?
1: Yes, the dorms are going to be open. open
0: we have reduced
1: uh, capacity in, in the dorms. Uh, so that we don't have as many students in, as, in, in the dorms as we would normally. We have portions of uh, dorms set aside should we need to uh, assist a student in quarantine or self-quarantine if they uh, have symptoms or return with a, a positive test.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And will testing be available, Jill?
1: Absolutely. Testing is available right now. It's uh, done at our Student Health Center. It's uh, free to all students, faculty, and staff, uh, Monday through Friday by appointment. Um, students in the morning, uh, 8.30 to 10.30, and faculty from 10.30 to 12.30. So, um, uh, yes.
0: So We are taking students from out of the country. I know there was a little bit of an issue on students from out of the country um, needing to just do online. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, um, we've followed very, very closely the uh,
1: State Department and the federal government's uh, attempts to restrict access to our international students and education. And thankfully, they have uh, drawn back on that um, and are not denying students international students access to the United States. Uh, and because our institution is not um, all online and we have a, uh, a fair amount of in-person and educational experiences for students, uh, other than having to self-quarantine based upon State Department guidelines upon their initial arrival here in the United States. Um, their education should should not be impacted at all. Uh, they're in there with everybody else.
0: Yeah. So let's um, kind of talk about what for some people would be sort of the elephant in the living room, and that is, yeah. um, you know, 18 and early 20s, um, they go to college, and mm-hmm. it's also a social time for them. And mm-hmm. we know that. And mm-hmm. that social time uh, here in Reno, of course, is parties and going downtown.
1: Mm-hmm. Can you
0: tell me how, if there's anything, uh, restrictions that's going to happen on that, or is it a matter of self-responsibility, which which it really should be? Well, you know, there's there, there's there's two aspects to this.
1: Of course, there's the self-responsibility. But we are an institution of higher education, which means that it's not appropriate for us just to simply say, hey, be responsible, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> so we, <Yeah. laughs> we uh, have a huge number of, of educational campaigns that are directly targeted towards our students. Those are largely uh, led by student services, uh, face, uh, face mask of the pack, On social media I have uh, developed a face coverings in the classroom webinar for staff and faculty uh, and students that is being used to train res hall uh, residential life uh, staff and and our student union and so forth we have a uh, significant campaign uh, going with the Associated Students of the University of Nevada which is our student government and they are actively involved as well Uh, And are looking at um, having some ambassadors around campus uh, to help remind students of social distancing and mask wearing uh, requirements. So um, it's it's, going to require not just a simple initial directive, nor is it sufficient to just simply say, be responsible. We have an active campaign that will... Is not going to let up through the entire fall semester to mm-hmm. um, so continue to remind uh, and educate. And the other important thing I think to remember is it's not and it can't just be punitive, right? right. Students have made it very clear to us um, that you know that they're not going to respond to just simply punishment, right? We, it needs mm-hmm. to be encouragement as
0: as well. So right. And yeah. if a student tests positive. Uh, what is the school process after that? so uh,
1: we actually already have positive uh, cases uh, on our campus, uh, and we have a website that tracks um, all the cases of individuals who have been on our campus as well as a reporting mechanism mm-hmm. so <clears throat> the first thing that that happens if we uh, find out that uh, someone has tested positive and they have been on our campus right we have students that are learning remotely, as you said, from other places around the country. So uh, we're trying to uh, track the ones that are here on our campus. Um, uh, That is being managed by Student Services, uh, the uh, Student Health Center, Dr. Cheryl Mm Hug-English. And so she immediately reaches out to the students. She starts coordinating with Washoe County Health District. Um, We have on our campus also the Nevada State Health Lab. And a portion of the new employees that have been hired by the state of Nevada for contact tracing. So we're assisting uh, with the contact tracing, and we check daily uh, on these students. They get a phone call: "How are you doing? Do you need anything? Right? Can we can we bring you food? Can we right. whatever it is? Yeah. Right? So we yeah. want to support them in their in their self isolation. So as of um, this morning, I checked. Uh, we've had 37 positive student cases, uh, of students who have been on our campus and a handful of faculty and and staff and everyone uh, is uh, doing fine.
0: That's great. Despite
1: the positive, right.
0: Um, we know that COVID-19 isn't going away anytime soon, Jill. I mean, we know that, um, it may be that our cases go down here in, uh, Washoe County, which we certainly hope so. And I know in the last day it has gone down. But what are your concerns over the next six months? What will you be really uh, focusing on as this first semester? Okay, um,
1: you know I, I I can think of three things, and I think they would be the same three things I would be focusing on, even if we weren't uh, in 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 COVID, right? Because they center around our, our mission. The, the the first one is really um, educational, right? Keep but keeping our campus and community safe, right? While, while delivering is high quality education and residential experiences as, as we can right now and i believe that we we can do this um, if we commit to the safety pro- protocols that we have in place i think that the second thing uh, that, that concerns me or, or, or that i worry about at least in the next 6 months is is the the business side right the the economic impacts the budget impacts the hiring freezes yep. and and basically how we will run this institution, um, given the financial and and personnel constraints that we face. And then the the third thing is is really cultural. Um, And, you know, despite COVID, um, higher education and really um, society at large, we can't ignore any longer or postpone our own self-reflection and reckoning that we face at the hands of our students and faculty of color, mm-hmm. LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. DACA students, et cetera, right? these other marginalized groups. So COVID may be an immediate, may be the immediate crisis, but um, we can't ignore the reckoning, right? Of, of our racial or other isms, um, uh, racism, right? right. The, the From our past. And so, um, that concerns me as much as COVID does, right? Because all of these matter for the health of higher education when, when we exit this, right? And the things that we can't deal with today are not going to be gone tomorrow. And so I think it's important that we need to address our immediate concerns, right? We need to address the immediate crisis, but we need to be very, very careful about what we put on the back burner um, because that's, also important for uh, the health of, of not just UNR but higher education in general. I think so.
0: Very well said, Jill. I'm wondering, of course, in my head whether we could uh, get you on another podcast uh, in another couple months to talk about some of these the budget impacts and just do a check in on how it's going that first uh, quarter. But also, I'd love to do a podcast on the cultural issues.
1: Yeah, that would be that would I would be more than happy to do that. Mm -hmm. And pleased to do it, actually, because I think um, if we're not talking about something, we're having a hard time fixing it. So I look forward to talking.
0: That's uh, very well put. Well, thank you, Jill, for this important conversation. I appreciate how down in the weeds you got. I think a lot of people will be very interested in the facts that you gave us today, and I really appreciate you taking the time. We've been talking today about the process of reopening the University of Nevada, Reno, with Jill Heaton, Vice Provost, Faculty Affairs, University of Nevada, Reno. Thank you, everyone, for listening. For a list of our podcasts, please go to to accesstohealthcare.org slash podcast, and please uh, send this podcast on to somebody that you think might be interested in the great information that we had today. Please stay safe, and please wear your mask.